Good morning. Very awesome to be celebrating virtually with you this Chol uh, HaMoed of Sukkot. And um, hopefully everyone is having a beautiful, uplifting, meaningful, joyous holiday. It is, after all, Zaman Simcha Seinu. And we will discuss a little bit about that today, about the happiness of Sukkot. The title for today's class, which is Parshas Vizos HaBracha, as we will be celebrating Simcha's Torah this coming Sunday. Shabbos, we do read uh, related sentences of Shemini Atzeres. Simchas Torah is actually an overlay, a customary overlay on top of the holiday of Shemini Atzeres. In Israel, there's only one day of Shemini Atzeres, and that is Simchas Torah. Outside the land of Israel, we celebrate Simchas Torah. On the second day, at least most people do, there are some that have a custom to do some version of Hakafos on both days of Shemini Atzeres. But nonetheless, it is Shemini Atzeres, and so we have, have a lot to discuss, both Vizos HaBracha, Sukkah Shemini Atzeres, Simchas Torah, all of those things. So the title for today's class is The Fire of Creativity. Month of Tishrei was anonymously sponsored in the merit of this learning to bless our family, our children, and grandchildren with Torah learning, ease of Shidduchim, Parnassah, good health, Shalom Bayis, and Baracha for all in the community, as well as special mention of Le'iloi Nishmas Yitzchak ben Zasman HaKohen and Le'iloi Nishmas Rachel Basperel. And we certainly join this family in their prayers for, of good for everyone. And we also are very pleased uh, that they are so uh, participatory in our sponsorship program and very much appreciate that and the merit of all that. They should have all the brachos that they're wishing on everyone and a special aliyah of neshamos for Yitzchak ben Zasman and Rachel Basbero. This week's class is sponsored by Joseph and Ada Vital in commemoration of Joseph's mother's yard site at the Basmosha Vimalka. We, meaning her family, remembers her with love, her strength, total devotion to her family, and love of learning. And now that I've known the Vitals for three or four years, I can tell you they are truly a couple that loves learning. In fact, uh, they are the only couple that I know that attend or listen to all of these shiurim, both on Wednesday and on Friday, together. And that's a really beautiful thing and definitely is a special merit for the soul of Eti Bas Moshe Malka. And uh, the love of learning is definitely carrying through. For anyone who does not know the Vitals, please get to know them. And while I'm on that subject, I want to mention to uh, Joseph and Ada that if you're in Miami, December 1st for Shabbos, I plan to be in Surfside, uh, Bell Harbor area for Shabbaton with the Young Israel of Bell Harbor and hopefully several good people that are on this class. Anybody can come to the area and spend Shabbos. It would be awesome. So to begin our class, as we continue to experience the many unique aspects of Sukkot, a question that probably occurs to many of us is the correlation of the seemingly disparate laws and significant customs of this holiday. So here is a listing of many of the unusual facets of the days of Sukkot, including Shmini Atzeres. Now, I'm not promising we're going to get to all of these today in terms of connecting them, because this is actually uh, becoming a rather large shi'ur 
maybe I'll do a part two. Maybe that will be part of the, um, you know, uh, recording of this coming week. But here we go for many interesting laws that we do that are truly special and unique. Living in a sukkah for seven days. That's pretty pun intended out of the house or out of the box. Taking and waving the four species, which are the lulav, the hadasim, which is a myrtle, the willow, which is a rabos, and an esrog, also for seven days. The fact that we have now a progression from Elul through Hoshana Rabbah, which is the final judgment. Uh, one of the ways that we know that it's um, a progression, there's this very interesting commentary brought in one of the commentaries to the Shulchan Aruch that says, when we say Hoshana, save us now or save us please, the word na is numerically 51. And there are 51 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul to Hoshana Rabbah. Right, so this Hoshana Rabbah is the 51st day. There's a lot of significance to that. Uh, regardless, uh, this is a unit. This is not just, it happens to be Elul and then Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Hoshana Rabbah. It's actually a progression of 51 days. Also, this is called the final judgment. There is a custom to say to our friends, a good kvittel, which means a good note, that hopefully means a person was signed finally for good in the final note from the judge. A good kvittel to all. Recital of the Hoshana prayers every day of Sukkot, and of course on Hoshana Rabbah, doing a seven times of the Hoshanas on this final day, which is coming up this Friday, Erev Shabbos. That's another interesting aspect. We also call this the final judgment of our water. There are also many that have a custom to stay up all Thursday night this year of Hoshana Rabbah and also to recite the entire book of Devarim on the night of Hoshana Rabbah. The Chazan on Hoshana Rabbah wears a kittel. There's a festival, a festive meal for brunch or for lunch. There's the interesting custom of Kreplach, just like we do it on Erev Yom Kippur. Kreplach is a dough filled. Um, meat-filled dough, I should say, um, and that's called kreplach. There is a custom for that. There is also the special banging of the aravos on the floor five times. Uh, that's called the willow branch that we bang. That's also referred to as the hoshanas, and the fact that we circle around the bima all the time when we do these hoshanas, and there's a special connection between our forefather Avraham and Hoshana Rabbah. As Hashem said to Avraham, I am one and you are one. I will grant your children a special day to atone for their sins. As my name is Ekiah, Aleph, then Hey, then Yud, then Hey, which is numerically 21, Hoshana Rabbah is on the 21st day of Tishrei. So Hashem said to Avraham, if your children do not gain atonement on Rosh Hashanah, and they will merit atonement on Yom Kippur. And if not, then it will be on Hoshana Rabbah. So if not Rosh Hashanah, then Yom Kippur. If not Yom Kippur, then Hoshana Rabbah. Then, of course, we have Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah, which is coming up this Shabbos, Friday night and Sunday, two days in Chutz Laaretz. We have a special mitzvah of happiness on Shmini Atzeres, even though Sukkot is all referred to as Man Simchasein at the time of our happiness. Shmini Atzeres is a special 
mitzvah, pasuk in the Torah, v'hayisa ach sameach, you will be certainly happy. Also, we read the entire parsha of Vizos HaBracha for some reason, even though it's not Shabbos. We always read the parsha of Vizos HaBracha on Simchas Torah. Everyone, meaning all males, 13 and above, get an aliyah, very often even many children get an aliyah to the Torah. Also a very fascinating custom, not to mention all the hakafos that we do and the singing that we do. So there's a ton of things, literally a plethora of different activities that are some mitzvos from the Torah, what we call mitzvos de araisa, some that are derabanan, some that are just customs, or very strong customs. So what is all of this, this potpourri and collection of various activities and mitzvos, is there a connection? Is there a thread? Like I said, we're not necessarily going to get to all of them, but at least we're going to start, well, hopefully, for a bunch of them. Now, before we go into Parshas Vizos Bracha, I want to mention at least where we're headed. There are a few major themes to understand, and then hopefully through the Psukim we'll see some more, and how they kind of get spelled out. Theme number one, which we've talked about, is happiness. We need to understand why is it especially happy. Theme number two is the concept of the water and the fact that it's our final judgment in general, but also specifically of water on Hoshana Rabbah. Also, the four species are described in many different commentaries as requiring lots of water, and that that's one of the reasons that the Torah obligates specifically these four species. It's a way of trying to ask Hashem for a favorable judgment for our water supply. Another theme, which of course is Sukkot, is the Anane HaKavod, the clouds of glory. We spoke about that last week. We call it living in the clouds. And this idea of rain is obviously correlated to clouds. That's where rain is. And then we also have the concept of the Oshana saving. And finally, I would like to point out that we have to understand the significance of why we're celebrating the Torah now. What is it about finishing the Torah now that the, the Chachamim saw fit to make this attached to the holiday of Shemini Atzeres? One would have thought that a more appropriate time to finish the Torah would be Shavuos. Let's begin the Torah on Shavuos. Let's conclude the Torah right before Shavuos and then either start again or finish it on Shavuos and then start again. But something should be related to Shavuos, which is Zeman Matan Torosenu, as we say in our prayers. Shavuos is the time of the receiving of our Torah. So why is the completion of the Torah at a completely different time of year, which we call the holiday of Sukkot, but really specifically Shemini Atzeres? So in order to paint this picture well, I would like to begin by describing that the holiday of Sukkot represents the ultimate completion of creation. We know this from the prophet Zechariah, which we read on the first day Haftorah of the holiday of Sukkot, where the description of the war of Gog and Magog is pretty vivid. And it talks about the final war, and it talks about the ultimate emergence of Hashem as the king and judge of everyone, and that the entire world will recognize the truth of Hashem's kingship as we say at the end of our Alinu, it is a sentence in Prophet Zechariah chapter 14, It will be that on that day, 
Hashem is one and his name is one. And the prophet even goes on to describe how on the holiday of Sukkot, all the nations of the world will come and prostrate to Hashem. And those that do not come, they will not get the rain, says the prophet Zechariah. So we have here this tremendous description of the ultimate completion of this world in which what we're always hoping for, that the truth of Hashem's existence will be known and also recognized and also accepted is going to occur specifically in this time frame of the holiday of Sukkot when the nations of the world will come and bow to Hashem, the one true king, and it will be that on that day Hashem is one and his name is one. Now, the reason I make a very specific mention of that is because we are going to go into the name of Hashem a little bit today. But important to understand is that when we talk about the fire of creativity, which is the title of today's class, what we're really going to be talking about is the infusion of the infinity of Hashem into creation. So that means that creation has the potential to be either finite or temporary. There's an idea that some things in this world do not exist forever. They serve a purpose, but they themselves do not exist forever, or they have an opportunity to exist forever, and they may or may not exist forever, but things are not intrinsically infinite. When we talk about things becoming truly infinite, we talk about them connecting somehow with Hashem, and the fire of Hashem is the representation of the infinity, so to speak, of Hashem, the permanence, the, the all, you know, indescribable uh, essence, so to speak, of Hashem that we can't really speak about, we don't know much about it, nor can we really speak about it, nonetheless, it becomes infused into creation. And the goal of the holiday of Sopis and Shemini Atzeres is that we should live as much as possible in a world where the infinity of Hashem has become fully infused into creation so that the heaven and the earth join together. So we truly do live, so to speak, in the clouds. The entire people of the world know the truth of the existence of Hashem and that the existence that we have, that human beings have, is an existence of constant forever transformation and creativity. By definition, that which is creative is that which is new. By definition, that which is transforming is able to <clears throat> get to the new. And it's for this reason that the Torah refers to the Torah itself here in Parshas Vizos HaBracha as Eish Das. It's written as one word and it's pronounced as two words. Eish means fire and Das means log. Mimi no from Hashem's right hand, many people translate that to mean as the writing of Hashem's right hand. So we have right, W-R-I-T-E. We have right, R-I-G-H-D. Hashem wrote the Torah with his right hand, so to speak, and presented it to us. That Torah is called a fiery law, Eish Das. That's the way the Torah refers to it here in Parashas Vazos Racha. So now that we know at least a little bit where we're headed, to understand the major, major significance of what's happening in this progression from Elo through Hoshana Rabbah and then Shemini Atzeres, we understand that the goal is to get this entire world 
to recognize the truth of Hashem's existence and the entire existence to be infused with this fire of Hashem, which the Torah calls over here the fiery Torah. But if we look at Har Sinai, we have all over the place the fire of Hashem. Right? Hashem went down in fire onto Mount Sinai. That's why we're focusing today on the fire of creativity. We're going to talk a little bit more about what this fire is in a moment. So if we look at the opening sentences of Parshas Mezos Racha, I want to read them to you because they're a fascinating collection, truly mind-boggling in their depth and also difficulty in understanding them. So sentence number one says, and this is the bracha that Moshe blessed, Moshe, I'm sorry, Isha Elohim. Moshe, the man of Hashem, blessed the Bnei Yisrael before his death. This is the blessing that Moshe, the man of Elohim, blessed Bnei Yisrael before his death. Chapter 33, sentence one. And he said, Hashem came from Sinai. He shone from the mountain of Seir. He appeared from the mountain of Paran. He came with him um, from many ten thousands of his holy angels. From his right hand is the fiery law to the Jewish people, to them. Sentence three. Hashem loves the nations. According to Rashi, this refers to the Shvatim, to the 12 tribes. Hashem has a special love for the Jewish people. There are other people who understand it differently. We'll go with Rashi for right now. Hashem has a special love for the Jewish people. All of his holy ones are in your hand, Hashem. That, according to many commentaries, refers to the righteous people, or that's Rashi, the righteous people, or the tribe of Levi is in the hands of Hashem, and they became subservient to the feet of Hashem, and they carry the, the teachings of Hashem. And then the Torah says, Torah The Torah Moshe instructed as an inheritance to the congregation of the Jewish people, and in Yeshurun there was a king, when the Jewish people gathered, all the, the people were counted, or all the special people were gathered together as all the tribes of the Jewish people. That's when Hashem became king. And then it says, Reuven should live and not die, and he should have many people as his offspring. So it's a very, very unbelievable mix of sentences. I just want to focus on a couple of points. Why does the Torah over here refer to Moshe as the Ish Ho'elokim, the man of God? We don't have that ever said before or elsewhere in the Torah. Why are we calling Moshe now the man of God as opposed to what? He was Moshe. He was always Moshe. Why are we describing him now? Then a fascinating almost contradiction in the sentences is over here the Torah says that Hashem came from Sinai. That's what we call the Yudke Vavke or the Tetragamaton. But if we look in Parshas Yisro, it's very clear that it's Elohim that greeted the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. It says Moshe took out the people to greet Elohim. So why over here, and, and Rashi even says that these two psukim are referring to the same thing. So why in one place is the Torah saying that Hashem Yudke Vavke is the one who, so to speak, presented us the Torah. But earlier the Torah says that it's Elohim that came. And in fact, the Ten Commandments opens with Fayedaber Elohim. Elohim spoke. So why do we have like a contradiction how to refer to Hashem? Obviously, it's the same being. But why in one place are we saying the name Yudke Vavke? And in one case are we saying the name Elohim? Then what's the idea 
that this Torah, which is a fiery law, somehow leads us to this connection that all the holy ones are in Hashem's hands. And I think we'll we'll stick with that just for the for right now for the sentences uh, at the beginning, and then I'm going to just share with you a couple of sentences from the end, which are a fascinating set of sentences as well, which talks about how the Jew, this is chapter 33, sentence 25. It talks about how the conclusion of the blessings is that the Jewish people are secure in the land of Israel with such tremendous strength that it's as if they are locked in with iron and steel locks. That's and that the Jewish people have a very successful, secure stay in the land of Israel. And there is no God like Yeshurun that rides the heavens to save the Jewish people. And his glory is the upper spheres of the heavens. And he lives in the heavens and he destroys the enemies of the Jewish people and the Jewish people dwell securely and they experience tremendous physical blessing of grain and wine and even the heavens will drip dew. Finally, praised are you, the Jewish people. Who is like you? The nation that is saved by Hashem, that Hashem is your shield that helps you and the sword that also fights for you and all of your enemies become weakened to you, and you trample your enemies. That's the conclusion of the blessings to the Jewish people. So the theme is basically Hashem takes care of the Jewish people, and he dwells in the heavens, and he destroys the enemies. So if we ask ourselves, what is really the bracha that Moshe Rabbeinu gives to the Jewish people? It's the fact that Hashem, who dwells in the heavens, takes care of the Jewish people, and that the enemies are crushed. If we had to put it in a nutshell, of course, the Jewish people experience much security and abundance of good things along the way. So why is this the message of Moshe Rabbeinu? Literally, the swan song, right? The last messaging that Moshe does to the Jewish people before his death. What is the major significance of this blessing? So I'd like to explain a very interesting concept of blessing in general, and I believe it's true, and that is every time we say a blessing, Baruch atah Hashem, olam, of any type, what we're really saying is that you, Hashem, who is our king, the Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, should be infused into creation. You, Hashem, which is the infinite and indescribable Hashem, that is the source of everything, that uh, you know, there's nothing more to say about him other than he always was, is, and will be, you, Hashem, should be put into this world and bring blessing. And that's the general idea for all of us who want to know how to get blessing. The general answer to that question is by infusing the Yudke Vavke into creation, which is why the greatest blessings really come to those that study and observe the Torah, because the Torah is the fire, literally the fire that represents Hashem, that we have, as Rashi even says here in, in, in Parashas Vizos Abracha, that originally the Torah was written in black fire on white fire. So the fire of Hashem, as represented in the Torah, is the source of all blessing. Why? Because blessing means to be connected to an infinite source, 
and that infinite source is Hashem. And the way to get that blessing is by being connected to the infinity, so to speak, of Hashem, which you know we're saying is represented by the four-letter name of Hashem. And giving a bracha is basically a way of saying that Hashem is becoming more apparent, more connected, and more infused into creation. That's why also, if we look at Mount Sinai, the concluding paragraph after the Torah is given, the, the sentences talk about the services in the temple, and it says, wherever I will allow my name to be mentioned, wherever I will allow my name to be mentioned, there I will come and I will bless you. That's what the Torah says, because the mentioning of the name of Hashem is what brings the blessing to the world. Rabbi Nathimen is very correct in saying that an excellent word to describe this is immanence. That immanence means to be fully present and somehow integrated, even though it's a different, it doesn't become mixed, so to speak, just becomes fully infused into the beingness of this world. So that is what blessing is. So here's a very simple idea now that we've laid that groundwork. I would suggest that Moshe Rabbeinu, his life work as a man of Elohim was to help make Hashem accessible. Moshe is representing the interest of Elohim in this world, which is to bring in the Yudke Vavke. That is a, a, um, a, a, an abstract concept, but in terms of practicality, Moshe is trying to make us have access to all the infinite transformation that is possible by connecting to Hashem, which is why Moshe, for example, is called Yered, which means to come down because he brought down the man. The man, in his merit, was able to help the Jewish people live on a different plane of existence that allowed them for greater transformation. Moshe, of course, brought us the Torah from the heaven to us. Moshe is what makes the accessibility of Hashem possible. Hence, Torah, Tziva, Lanu, Moshe. But it's Moshe as the man of Hashem who's serving the Yudke Vavke to become more present, which is also why Moshe is called a servant. Even in this parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he dies, he's called the servant of Yudke Vavke, the servant of Hashem. Because as representing Elohim's interests in creation, Moshe brings the Yudke Vavke to here. And so therefore he is the Evet Hashem, which is what the Torah also talks about in Parshas Ba'alosha. When Miriam and Aharon spoke against Moshe Rabbeinu, and Hashem responds, that he's personally offended, now we understand why. Because nobody is doing more to bring in this almost inaccessible aspect of Hashem to us as Moshe Rabbeinu. And they are casting aspersions on Moshe. And they don't understand why he's not married. He's not married because he needs to be in this, in this rarefied type of existence to allow for the holiness of Hashem to become more accessible to the rest of the Jewish people. And so now we can understand the answer to the contradiction. It says here that Hashem came from Sinai. It says in Parashat Yisro that we went to greet Elohim. But the truth is, if you look at what happens at Sinai, it's Yudke Vavke Hashem that's coming down to Sinai. And it's Elohim that's facilitating that the Jewish people can experience the Yudke Vavke. So it starts as Elohim, and it becomes Hashem. And that's really indicative of Moshe's life 
work is to start with this kind of more relatable God that is our king, God that uh, you know we we experience either in terms of hopefully reward and not punishment, God that we know is our judge, but it's ultimately that we should have a much greater connection to this infinite aspect of Hashem, which is the Yudke Vavke. There's so many more things to talk about here, just in terms of how to understand many, many, many sentences in the Torah. I'm not going to do that now. Like I said, maybe there will be a part B recording that we'll get to. I just want to get to hopefully what's practical for us. All of this is a way of saying that Hashem, who resides in heaven, is coming to, so to speak, land on earth, which is also what happened at Mount Sinai. Rashi says this, the sentences say this, the Ibn Ezra says this in, in, uh, in Parshas Yisrael. There are many, many places to know this, that it's as if the heavens and the earth merged. And one way to look at it, this is the Ibn Ezra's way to express it, man's feet were on earth and his head was in the heavens. And that's how he heard Hashem speaking because Hashem speaks from the heavens. That's one way to understand it. But the point is that when we live our lives according to the precepts of the Torah, it is not at all a fanciful idea that we transform ourselves to such an extent that our bodies become less important, that we become less needing of physical things. Not to say that they're not important. I said less important, less of a focus, less being driven by the body as opposed to being uh, hopefully driven by the soul. All of this is a way that allows us to truly become elevated human beings. We become more selfless. But very interestingly, we also become more creative. That's the fire of the Torah. The fire of the Torah has the ability to either ignite and to burst into new light with new ideas and new um, horizons of accomplishment, or God forbid, the fire can consume. This fire that consumes, we know as Gehenna. And it is the same fire. And there are sentences in Shira Shirin at the very end, which talks about the fire of Gehenim, Shal which means the fire of Hashem, and refers to the consumption of the wicked. But guess what? The first time that we find fire in the Torah is actually in the treaty with Avraham Avinu. That's the first mention of fire in the Torah by the Brisbane Absarim. It talks about the smoking furnace and the pillar of fire. Now, there are two commentaries over there in Rashi. One says that the fire is the messenger of Hashem making the covenant together with Avraham Avinu between the parts of the special relationship of <clears throat> The Hashem and the Jewish people, and ultimately what will you know, be the Eretz Yisrael together with the Jewish people, great. And the other is that it's a fire that will destroy the wicked, but it's the same fire because it's either a fire of consumption or it's a fire of infusion and creativity. When we talk about the Torah being written in white fire and black fire on white fire, we're talking about the fire of transformation but only if it's through the words of the Torah that we can handle this change that's supposed to happen to us forever changing and evolving into a higher level being. But if unfortunately we're not following the precepts of, precepts of the Torah, then the fire can actually consume us. Now, I mentioned that that's Abraham Avinu at the Brisbane of Sarin. And I also mentioned before that Hoshana Rabbah is Hashem's promise to Abraham 
that your children will get atonement either on Rosh Hashanah or on Yom Kippur, and if not, on Oshana Rabbah. Why to Avraham? Because Avraham is the one who literally made Hashem's presence known in this world. The Torah tells us in Parashat Chayisara that until Avraham, Hashem was Hashem in the heavens. After Avraham, Hashem became Hashem on earth. That gave the entire world, including the non-Jewish people of the world, to know of the existence of Hashem. And that's part of what we're celebrating on Sukkot, is that even the non-Jewish people should know of the existence of Hashem. In a fascinating comment that Sephorno says on that sentence that I read to you before, when it says, Afchovev Amim, says, even though Hashem loves all the nations of the world, that's the way he translates it. Hashem loves all the nations of the world because they are all created in the image of Hashem. Nonetheless, kol only his holy ones, the Jewish people, are in his special protection. Because Hashem has a special love for the Jewish people because the Jewish people are called the children of Hashem. Why are they called the children of Hashem? Says Rashi, because they learn Torah. Because they learn Torah, they can truly transform and become like a child of Hashem rather than just an image or a depiction. We can truly become like a child of Hashem. There are many, many, many places. I'm not going to go into all the different references of fire and Talmud Chacham and Torah. And that's the way to cleave to Hashem. But the point is that the holy ones are the ones that are taking the Torah and having it shape and change their lives. So a good way to think about it, like my father says, uh, when we taught, when we daven on Rosh Hashanah or on Yom Kippur, tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, that this should get rid of the evil decree. We're not just saying, you know, a patent, um, you know, this is, a, hey, look, a three-step formula, do, do, do a little repentance, do a little prayer, and do a little charity. No, we're talking about undergo a wholesale change. Do a real repentance. Give tzedakah so that it changes how you live. That's the way my father explains it. Don't just give tzedakah to be Yotze the mitzvah. Give tzedakah so that it really dictates a change in you and how you live because you give it so meaningfully. And the same thing with prayer. We have to pray in a way that actually changes our priorities and puts us properly calibrated with our true purpose in this world and the true recognition of Hashem in the world. We have to have this kind of change experience. So finally, what is the blessing that Moshe Rabbeinu is giving us? He's giving us the blessing of access to this infinite possibility universe where we have transformation and creation as part of our DNA because of Torah, Siva, Lanu, Moshe. So when we look at the end of the blessings, and by the way, the Sephorno actually says that these are the actual blessings for the Jewish people. He says that all the blessings of the Shvatim are not really blessings. They were prayers from Moshe to Hashem, but that the real blessing begins with Moshe davening for the security of Eretz Yisrael. You'll have like locked iron and steel um, secure borders of Eretz Yisrael. That Hashem, who rides in the heaven, he's the one that comes to help us. That relationship of being in Eretz Yisrael, but Hashem directly taking care of us, just like Kol Kedosha Biyadecha, where we have complete security, complete physical sustenance and blessing, and that anybody who is against the Jewish people is going to be destroyed, is because 
we represent the transformation possibility of the human being. And only if you're good with the Jewish people will you be able to actually be part of what the Prophet Zechariah says, So if we want to know, are we actually experiencing what the blessing of Moshe Rabbeinu is about? The answer is, do we have security in Eretz Yisrael? Are we people of transformation? Are we experiencing tremendous material wealth? Do we see how Hashem is saving us? And is it true that our enemies are falling by the wayside? So that's how we'll know if we're getting the blessing of Moshe Rabbeinu. But that is the blessing of Moshe to experience this ultimate future, just like the prophet Zechariah talks about. And the idea of Sukkot is, of course, what it's all about. We live in this world directly under the protection of Hashem, where the whole world comes to recognize that really the heavens and the earth are united. This is, of course, now why we have many of our customs, such as the things for water, because water is rain. We pray for rain. Shemini Atzeres, when we pray for rain, is so that the heaven and the earth are actually functioning properly together. That's a sign that there is a proper harmony between us and the heavens. That means that the world is going to function properly. The idea that we celebrate the Torah now of course, because this is what the Torah is meant to bring. Uh, we have some Chastara and Shemini Atzeres because just like the rain is here to nourish the world and to infuse the world also with growth and creativity, so to the Torah, just like it says in Parashat Sahazinu. The Torah is meant to do that. And if the Torah is done properly, then we absolutely experience the infinite future that the Navi Zechariah is talking about. And that's why it's so important to daven meaningfully on Hoshana Rabbah, because at the very least, even if we're not really human beings of transformation, we have to be vying to want to be human beings of transformation, that we should want to live in the universe where we know that everything is from Hashem, where we know that we completely depend on Him, that we know that even though our deeds don't deserve atonement, nonetheless, Hashem will save us. And that then we experience complete happiness as represented by Shemini Atzeres, which is a number eight, and Mount Sinai is also a number eight. There's many, many more things to go into. But the bottom line is, we are looking for happiness. We are looking for your creativity. We are looking to become constantly transformed and new people. That's the blessing that Moshe Rabbeinu is giving us. And that's why it's Bezos HaBracha, almost like it's expected that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to give a bracha. What's the bracha? This is the bracha, says the Torah. Become everything I've always wanted for you that the Torah is supposed to bring to you. That's what Moshe wants to give to the Jewish people as his final message that they should actually live the reality of the Torah completely changing them and the world. So there are many references in Zosu Bracha to the nations of the world. There are many references to the material blessings. The Shevet Levi is obviously very important, the 12 tribes, so many other things that come out from all this that uh, we're not going to get into now. So hopefully, with all this in mind, we will experience tremendous happiness because we'll know that the purpose of the world is not what do I get in terms of physical uh, pleasures in this world. Of course, Hashem wants us to have that, but that's not the goal. That's why we read Koheles, one of the things I forgot to mention, on Sukkot to specifically point out that the material world as an end in itself is 
vanity. It is hevel, which really means nothingness. But when it's used as a means of recognizing and appreciating Hashem, and when the mitzvot train us to properly have the focus that we need to connect to Hashem, that's the entire purpose of man, which is the entire purpose of sukkahs, to become the people that are completely in balance with Hashem and infusing the infinity of Hashem into the world so that the world becomes a brand new world. And I'll just conclude with this, which is really what the prophet Yeshaya says. After all is said and done, God willing, we have Mashiach, we have the Jewish people back in Eretz Israel, and we have the world that the Torah is describing here. Yeshaya Hanavi says, there will be a new creation of heavens and earth. That's where we're heading. And that's the ultimate future. Okay, any questions or comments? I know there are a couple on the chat. Thanks, uh, see you in two weeks, everybody. Thank you, thank you. All right, thanks. Oh, Rabbi Nakimin is in a sukkah. He's doing it the right <laughs> way. Okay, well, hopefully everyone will feel somewhat elevated and uplifted and put all their energy. I know there's, it takes a lot of work uh, these last days of Yomtev, but hopefully everybody will put their best, you know, efforts into experiencing this connection and transformation. Oh, I can't hear you, Sylvia, sorry. I'm just saying thank you so much. It was beautiful, magnificently put together. It was wonderful, and thank you thank, very, very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hag Sameach, and best of your husband, please. Yeah, bye. Bye. Thank you. I, I just want to say one last thought. Thank you know, you. Rabbi, bye. it's not necessarily <laughs> hard drive Torah. But I don't know why the idea that the technology people live and breathe to improve every aspect of technology and make it better for the universe. If we could only apply that energy to our self-improvement. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know why it even popped in my head, but it was just like every day there's a new phone. It's to make life better for us to connect. And mm -hmm. it's like, we're on the, it's a parallel track that's going to take us. It's going to eventually diverge. And uh, I don't know why that. Synergistic situation whereby we could employ just like we're doing now. We're on our phones and we're employing Rabbi Akiva's wonderful wisdom, and we're you know bringing putting both together. So hopefully, I, like that. I, I for that purpose may they continue to make improvements. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but Steve Jobs, non-Jewish perspective is to take away the curse of the apple. That's that's the non-Jewish perspective. That's why it's Apple has that bite in it. That's I not know. even <laughs> Job said that. So our purpose is to use it, you know, sublimate it for the for the holy. But that's not the non-Jewish perspective. Well, we'll transform it. Exactly. <laughs> Thank, you right. okay. Thank you, everyone. Wonderful. Thank you, Rabbi. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Okay, Thank you, Rabbi. Bye.